Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Insider. Uh, before we get started with this show, two quick PSAs. First of all, you need to check out Catch. It's a gimmick that we've just released. It'll be on the homepage of the website. It is a really smart way of vanishing and reproducing a coin. Um, you should check it out. It solves a lot of problems for that last tricky coin in a coins across or coins through table or coins to glass routine. Um, and it's really fun to practice as well. Second thing is, if you heard last week's show with Vinnie de Ponto, the three icons pieces of art that he created with Vernon, Cardini and Levant are selling really fast. It's a very limited edition. Each one's numbered and signed by Vinnie. You get a certificate of authenticity. And if it's something you've been umming and ahhing about, I would recommend you get your skates on and get it before it's sold out. And finally, I'd just like to apologise. Most of you listen to this on Apple Podcasts. And for the last two weeks, there's been a problem with the feed and Apple Podcasts, and it's not coming through to Apple. Um, this now seems to have been resolved. So hopefully this episode, when I put it up, will come through automatically on your podcast feed. Um, so yeah, sorry about that. It wasn't our fault. It was a problem with uh, Apple's ingestion of the uh, RSS feed. Would you, Adam and Eve, it? I know, right? Anyway, we have got a treat. And in fact, it's such a treat that I've broken it into two parts. Um, it's John Carney. And golly gosh, the people that he hung out with. The stories that that man has to tell. So sit back, get comfortable, and get ready for the first of two parts of an interview with the legendary John Carney. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Insider, brought to you, just for a change, by Vanishing Inc. My guest today needs absolutely no introduction. <laughs> I'm honoured to have Mr John Carney on the show. John, how are you this afternoon? Ah, uh, very fine. Thank you so much. It's a short show, John. 30 minutes. There's no time for pleasantries. What's your magic origin story? You've got 48 <laughs> seconds. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a cousin that showed me a very simple card trick with a key card, and and then they put them in my hand, and you slap them, and that's the only one left, which is actually still a very, very good trick. And uh, then some other kid had a coin slide, and and eventually I started buying props. Then I got into sleight of hand, and I started selling off all the props and buying lots of books. And that's kind of where I've stayed uh, most of my life. Uh, I do work with some apparatus, but uh, I, I was firmly established as a sleight-of-hand guy when I first got uh, Divern one of Divernon's first books. Okay, so what age was the, the slap keycard thing, and what age was the I want to do sleight-of-hand? Uh, about 12 years old, which probably like when I saw the card trick and the, and the other thing, and... Uh, and uh, you know, it got more serious uh, uh, in, the, in the years after that. Probably around 15 years old, I was pretty set okay. in my okay. ways. Yeah. Let's let's talk magic books. Um, we'll get to your new book later. But I understand you've got quite a high regard for books that some people might regard as outdated, like um, modern magic or oh, there it is, Sachs sleight of hand. What do you think their relevance is today? Uh, I think, you know, I, I'm a, a not a fan of the 
uh, consumer culture in magic where everything is about the latest thing. What's new? Mm -hmm. What's new? And then you buy a trick and you do a trick or you read a trick and you do a trick. And and what I look for in, in books are principles and premises, you know, and I may not even be wanting to do that particular routine or that method or or anything i'll just say oh there's a trick with a golf club and a thing i never thought about that you know right and then you then i start thinking about that and then maybe i'll research lots of different things and it doesn't mean that i'll do it exactly out of that book but if you read these old books you have a much bigger foundation and you can call upon many more ideas when you're trying to create things or when you're trying to structure things or, or design uh, a routine. And uh, it just gives you a bigger base of information. You don't have to read every single word in the book, you know. Mm -hmm. Skim it, learn some principles. If something's interesting to you, then read the whole thing. And even if you're learning a routine, I would say uh, learn, like, the basics of it. Get off book and work on it. One of the first things is get off book, get off book, and then go back for details. But you got to go back for details. But the idea is to get the concept of what you're doing. If you know what you're trying to accomplish, like in a pass, one half is going around the other. Sure. If you start reading, you're going to get a little confused, and you go, "Well, what's really going on?" Oh, this is, you know. But if you get the idea that one is exchanging the other, now you can go back and say, "Where does this finger go?" How how firmly do you press, how high, how low, all those sort of things. But the the old books are inspiration, and they're also like encyclopedias of principles and ideas. And uh, they're not as fun and not as easy because you mm. do have to concentrate. And we all have a shorter attention span with the video age and and all that sort of thing, and I, I, I'm no different. Uh, I really have to want to learn something to, to read it out of a book. I have to, you know, it's not just some small variation or something I want to, it has to be something I really want to learn. But it's so important to know more than what exists on video because that's very limited what's, what's only on video. Um, John, I understand that even though you're right-handed, you perform some slights as if you were left-handed. What's your thinking behind that? Well, when I first started learning magic, I'd read things in a book, and it would say, hold the deck in the left hand. And the left hand really doesn't do that much. It maybe you know, hold a break or something, but mm -hmm. my strong hand is... is my strong hand is the right hand, and what I'm saying is that that bottom hand does most of the work. If you're doing a pass, this does ah, all the work. If you're doing steel. a side steal, yeah, it's yeah. this. A peak, you're holding a break mm -hmm. down here. All those things, and dealing, pushing off, and pulling back, and bottom dealing, and and second dealing. All those things are with this bottom hand. This hand's kind of passive, so when I put the deck over there, ah. I felt weak. I felt weak, and that, that was early on when I was just 14 years old or something that I, I discovered. I said, I'm just going to 
switch it to the other hand. So now, uh, anytime over the, you know my whole lifetime when I've had to learn a move, I have to automatically when I read right, I go right left. That means left, 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 right. I'm switching constantly, and that's what I mean by learn the concept what you're trying to accomplish because. If you know what's going to happen, that right and left hand won't confuse you in the description because you know what you're trying to accomplish. And you go, oh, well, this finger, not necessarily right or left, but this finger is what holds it or didn't, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, but it's my stronger hand. How interesting. I'd never, yeah, I'm, my right hand's dominant as well, and I'd never even thought about that. It makes perfect sense. You use both hands, so sure. what, what makes it? right or left-handed when yeah, you're yeah. using both hands so yeah, i just went to my strong hand that did the most work uh, you've got a high regard for a scottish grocer called john ramsey um uh -huh. why is that <laughs> john ramsey uh he was a master of misdirection and another thing is i i just appreciate the fact that he was an basically an amateur magician yeah but he still cared enough so it drives me crazy when people say, "Oh, well, I don't do it for a living. I'm just having fun. I just, you know, I don't, you know." But if you go, if you're going out there and performing things, you're making magic look bad if you're not practicing and you're not putting some thought into it. It's not just practice; it's applied thought. And Ramsey did that in spades. He 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 took old tricks and he he put new thinking to them, his own personal thinking to them. And studying uh, Andrew Galloway's books. I don't try to imitate Ramsey. I try to get the idea, the concepts, and basically there's just two things that Ramsey said. If you want somebody to look mm -hmm. at something, look at it yourself. If you want somebody to look at you, look at them. And the, looking at something yourself gets people to focus on something. You don't know where they're looking. So you want them to know where they're looking. Now you know they're looking here because you're making this look important and relevant and they're going, oh, something important. And then when you relax, when you're, you physically, uh, visibly relax and look at them, it's very easy to get them to look at you. But you, if you time it right, you do it right before, if you're doing a move or something, right as you approach it, right about here you look up and there's your window. Your window right. is gone. So if you're trying to misdirect people and you have a pass, you're trying to do a mm -hmm. pass, and you're going, so, uh, where are you from? Where are you from? <laughs> you, uh, yeah. Your window is that. That's your window. Just when your hands come together for a second to square or put it down or whatever. But that Ramsey idea, I apply it to every single thing I do. Every card move, every coin move, thimble move, everything. And... Uh, any, anything that you're trying to misdirect away from and de-emphasize. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, you knew Charlie Miller and saw him perform. Mm -hmm. what, what, what stands out in your memories about him? What can you tell <laughs> me about him? Well, Charlie is a really eccentric fellow. I mean, really, really charming and sweet eccentric fellow. Kind of a man-child in a way, and I don't mean that as an insult at all. But he was—he was kind of naive. I think when he was raised, he, he, you know, he didn't have a father. He was kind of sheltered with a Victorian sort of mother. And uh, but he, when he got into magic, he found his niche. And he practiced and practiced and practiced obsessively, and that's why he became so fantastically good. But he hid his light under a bushel, 
and uh, he was always in the shadow of Di Vernon, and Di mm-hmm. Vernon published more things. So every you know, and Charlie was younger than Vernon, so Charlie looked up to Vernon, and uh, so you don't see people talking about Charlie the same way they talk about Vernon, but he's definitely at that at that level, um, and. Uh, he was a, he was a sweetheart of a guy, and my friend Fawcett Ross introduced me to Charlie Miller, and uh, Charlie sort of studied under Fawcett Ross for stage magic because Charlie could do close up and cards, uh, but when he tried to get gigs, you know, they said, "Well, can you do a stage act?" No, I don't right. have a stage act. So, so Fawcett helped him uh, construct a stage act and gave him lots of great advice, practical. How to be practical when you're on stage, and and the, you know not not just Charlie. I was just talking about this with Charlie every day. Uh, uh, Charlie the other day with somebody this idea of simplifying things, trying okay. to simplify things. And Charlie took everything, the, made it the most simple. Like I had a a coin through the hand, you know, the mm-hmm. the stack of quarters, mm-hmm. right? And I would. You'd go through the hand, and then you have the gimmick. You have the gimmick sure. over here, the, the the solid stack or whatever. And I was trying to think. I was a teenager, and I'm trying to think, whoa, I'll sleeve it, or I'll top it, it or I'll mm-hmm. leave a button open. I'll throw it between the buttons. I'll lap it. I'll you know, do something c- crazy. And Charlie said, no, no, no. The coins fall through. You've got it palmed here. You just pick up the coins and put them all together and put them in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to do all these complicated things. So, you know, whereas a lot of guys would say, oh, it's not clean because you don't end clean. Well, if people think there's something in your hand, you did something wrong long before that moment. That's true. So, so the idea is to make things simple and practical for as many situations as you can encounter so you're always at your best if you have some angly thing and you have to sit this or move over there so i can do my trick you're not going to be able to do your favorite material so uh, simplifying and charlie was was uh, uh, supreme at that all the effects are very direct there's no confusing countdown spelling and all that kind of thing you know i like the kind of trick where you pull them out of their ear you pull the card out of their ear, you know, visual magic. And, and Charlie did very straightforward magic, no no fooling around. So it's not just the, the Vernon thing about simplicity of plot and clarity of effect, but simplicity of method as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you mentioned the effect too, because a lot of times if you someone shows you a trick and you ask them what the effect is, They'll say, well, I, you know, I dealt down 24, and then yeah, I spelled this thing, and then yeah, yeah. the average person, they go, well, um, he got the card. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, he located, he got the right card. But, you know, what what happened to it? What, what was the plot? You know, it's more fun when people can follow it. It's like watching a movie, and they throw in extra characters that don't mean anything. And you go, well, yeah. what was that guy? Or, what you know, what was that all about? Why, why does that have to do... It's more fun when it just flows and you understand what's going on and uh, identify with the characters. And, the, and that's more about getting, you know, not it being about this, but this. Yeah, yeah. Communicating with people and, and relating to people in a conversation. I saw some uh, videos of Fred Capps on YouTube. And I love Fred Capps. He was, I still, is probably the best all-around magician ever. Stage, mm-hmm. close-up, 
He had great Everything. taste. He yeah, had great yeah. technique. He, he, you know, he create. He didn't create a lot of new magic, but he, but he routined it. You know, it, it's creative routining and and that sort of thing. And then I'd read the comments below, and you could tell it was like some young kids that were doing it on their phone or something because there's no punctuation and no, you know, whatever. <laughs> and it just said, "I'm bored. He's talking too much. Get into the magic." And it's like <laughs> it's all about communicating with people it's not just about your hands and on, on youtube you can tell that because they cut themselves off it's yep. not their it's their heads cut off and it's their Crunch hand up. here <laughs> yeah and it's crotch magic theater you know <laughs> and you know but if you can get people if you can relate to people they they're going to like you and they're going to like the magic more because you're talking to them not at them yeah. and it's also better misdirection they're not focused on your hands because you're talking to them, sure. and then when you do a move, nobody's looking at nobody's looking at your hands. Yeah. So uh, it, there's more to it. You know, it's a performing art. It's a, it's not an just an exhibition. There's a big <laughs> difference between a performance and an exhibition, and uh, I try to do a performance and and actually relate to people. And uh, Di Vernon, people never talk about this, but one of the aspects that I I learned from watching him was he would just engage you in conversation and you never knew when the trick started yeah. and he was an interesting guy and it didn't sound like rehearsed patter or you know it sounded like hey this old guy has an interesting interesting uh, life and oh he knows about that oh have you ever wondered about this or that and you you're kind of into the it date, the, the thing about the story about the the date on the on the on the on the coin before he vanished it and talking just talking about the date rather than going into a trick yeah well, any, anything anything yeah well i mean if it's relevant the date i don't know i don't know what in particular you're referring to but but yeah anything about that you could say oh this coin is oh 1917 oh that's in the past or something you know but if you have some relevant patter point or something to to point that out but people relate to other people more than they relate to things and yeah. it's fun to watch the gymnastics and the and the magic but really what they go home remembering is a little story or and and they remember you if they liked you or not you know and if they yeah. like you and you're polite and you're considerate you're not obnoxious they're gonna like it even if you don't do a very good magic trick you're, you're st <laughs> they're still gonna like you and that and that's more important than anything just to just to relate to people sure uh, you mentioned uh Fawcett and he was clearly a huge part in your magical development for any younger listeners can you say who he was and why he was so influential to you well he was mostly uh influential because he was he was really accessible to me he was close by mm. he was one of divernon's uh best friends and knew ross bertram very well all the old timers when he was a young man like when i was a young man he used to uh, drive to see uh, T. Nelson Downs. Uh. And then here I was driving to see Fawcett Ross, who was about three hours away. And Fawcett was not wildly original, but he was really great at routining things, taking three separate tricks and somehow routining them together. And then he also kind of categorized them as things you could do 
with people on stage and without people on stage. And he had he had different shows for you know uh, Cub Scouts, and then he had another show for a nightclub crowd, and another for an outdoor thing because now there's wind and all the thing. So he, I mean, he thought through all these things, and he was a pro. And that that is, and uh, he he cared about you know what he did and he didn't just pick up a check and buy a bunch of equipment and do it you know he worked through it and details and and uh and he was a a really terrific guy he was a really really sweet man he introduced me to a lot of great magicians and very encouraging and very very helpful and uh, i wouldn't say i learned a lot of technique from him but i got a lot of great advice and, and he was a great friend and obviously you mentioned vernon um, you spent a lot of time with the professor and he wrote about you it's amazing how talented some of these younger chaps are and the skill they have attained at such a tender age it must have made you feel really good uh i don't know is he referring to me but yeah. uh oh, okay <laughs> all right well uh we stand on the shoulders of giants it's like that you can't you know you can't look at the stuff that's coming out today in books or videos or anything and say oh we're so great because we're modern and we're the that stuff came from somewhere everything is based on something else nothing new under the sun as the bard would say mm. and uh, we you build on things it's a it's a, there's principles and then you can expand on those ideas and variations on those things and everything you see today has been invented before, but in another form, or they're fresh combinations of things. And uh, so, well, I, I think I said it there. <laughs> what, what, was, what was it like to sit down with Vernon? What, what was he like as a friend? Um, you know, for the first, when I moved out here, for the first couple of years, he, he knew who I was because... I was a friend of Fawcett's, but, you know, mm -hmm. we weren't, like, super close right away. You, you have to earn people's respect and their trust, yeah. and and uh, and maybe they don't want to be your friend, you know? It's like, you know, you don't force yourself on people, but if you're polite and considerate and you're earnest and you, you have a similar interest, gradually it kind of develops. You, do, you don't push it. And that's kind of what I did, you know. He'd see me around the castle, and he'd say, "Oh, that kid has a couple nice ideas." And then he got, "What do you? What's it, John? John? Okay, John. Now he knows me. Now I'm sitting across the couch from him, and mm -hmm. they weren't formal lessons, but at the castle he had a couch, yes, a little love seat, and right across that was another love seat, and I'd plop myself down there along with everybody else that had the opportunity. And I'd just sit there and we'd chat, and I'd show him a trick, and he'd say, "That's no good. That's no good. Here, try it this way, or well, why don't you think about that?" And and uh, he he taught me in an interesting way. He never discouraged me. He would say things like, "Johnny, I'm surprised at you. Oh. You're a very clever young man. Now, why would you do it that way? Think about it." And I would go home, and I'd think about it, and I'd come back, and I'd go, I figured it out. And he'd go, no, you didn't. No, still stinks. You know, still, you know, he wouldn't say stinks, but he would say, yeah, you still haven't got it. And I'd go back and back and back and back. And finally, the ultimate compliment is he goes, yeah, okay, yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like, oh, you're fabulous. Oh, you're fantastic. He'd go, yeah, okay, that's the idea, okay. And I would show him things, and I would stimulate him. And he'd go home, and he says, Johnny, I was thinking about what you showed me there. So, 
So he still loved magic and he still thought about it to the very end. You know, he loved working on things. And um, uh, it, it wasn't a formal lesson kind of a situation. It was, they were conversations. I was lucky to be in the same room with him many times. And we just had a lot of conversations. We're two people that love magic. Sure. And he could tell, he, he would never discourage people unless he could tell that they were looking for a shortcut. You know, what's, uh, what's the brand of cards that I'm going to use that's going to make me a better magician? Or, you know, how, how, what do you, what's the hand cream you... No, no, no. It's like, if you're, not, you're not thinking about magic if those are your main questions, you know. You, you, but if you come in and you go, now when I do this, it kind of it catches on the thing. How, why do you suppose that, you know, maybe he'll help you with that? Because now you've already done the groundwork. You don't walk up to Di Vernon and say, how do I palm a coin? You know, he gives, he's more of a finesse guy. He gives you finesse. You have to do some study. Right. You have to come in with something. And if he recognizes that, uh, he, 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 would, he would tell you anything. He'd talk sure. about anything. But if you, you were not earnest and you didn't work at things, then he'd tell you, get out of magic. <laughs> he just, he didn't want to hear it. I, I remember some years ago at the International Magic Convention uh, in London seeing you do Mr. Misto. Uh, where, where did Mr. Misto come from, John? <laughs> uh, deep psychological wounds. <laughs> uh, uh, no. Uh, well, you know, I, I probably before I even wanted to do magic, I wanted to do uh, comic acting like I saw in... Uh, Dick Van Dyke or Tim Conway or Jonathan Winters or, you know, a lot of my heroes like that, even W.C. Fields, you know, they're characters. It's character-based comedy as opposed to stand-up jokes, mm -hmm. behaving as opposed to, you know, saying clever, clever things. You know, I'd like yeah. to be as clever as I can. But anyway, so I like characters. And David Williamson had, was doing a thing called Midnight Madness at a convention in Washington, D.C., and he said... He saw me do a card routine, and all I did in the routine, I'd say I, ha I had a hat on because I was spinning cards into the hat, and cards were floating and crawling out of the hat. And then at one point, I put the hat on, and I did a funny bow like this. And David goes, that's a great character. We should interview him. And I go, character? I haven't got a character. <laughs> so he said, well, we're going to do it. And so uh, we had just a, a, a four weeks, five weeks time. And I go, oh my God, I, I can't go up there without anything in my head. I gotta come up with something. And I started thinking in about these weeks. characters. It well, basically, you know, something like that. I had had improv training, so right, and and acting training. So you know, I've been doing characters and voices my whole life, but I really didn't do them on stage, really. And so I started thinking, who could this guy be? What does he sound like? Does he sound like Harry Blackstone? <laughs> or does is he kind of a mealy guy? Or is he this or that? And, you know, try, does he have a mustache? Does he have this? You know, I'm thinking about all these things. And right up till, right up till showtime, I was mixing them around and trying to figure out who, what, what I was going to do. But once you go on stage, one of the things I learned about in, in improv... Once you go on stage, you have to commit, mm -hmm. and you can't break character. That's not you know. So once I committed to one character or the other, that's what he was, and it went over so well that I decided to keep keep doing it. 
and uh, you know, I wrote a little backstory for him. He had all this crazy history, and and he's based on a lot of characters that I've seen. Uh, like uh, oh, Ernie Kovacs had a character, and uh, there's a little bit of Charlie Miller in there. Dom DeLuise, the actor Dom DeLuise, uh, Carl Ballantyne. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of all those guys. It's kind of an amalgam. And uh, anyway, it, w- it gave me an opportunity to do a character on stage, and the magic. I think people look at him and go, well, he's obviously an idiot, which is really fun because underneath I'm doing moves and I'm slow, mm-hmm. uh, I'm loading things and switching things and doing all these things, and nobody thinks anything of it because they, 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 they don't think, oh, he's a clever guy. They go, oh, he's an yeah, idiot, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah, sure. you can get away with a lot a lot of stuff, and it's and it's fun. It's fun to be somebody else and, and, uh, and, and be a little broader because I'm a, I'm a little bit more low-key in my everyday life and even in my performing style so it's nice to be able to mix it up with uh, characters and, and since then I've had developed several different characters that I do on stage.